We know what our goals are. We know what we hope to accomplish. And believe me, it's the most exciting and challenging assignment we've ever tackled at Walt Disney Productions. Oh, hello there. So glad you could come along. I am the Dreamfinder. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this new series on the Main Street Chronicles YouTube channel. We are introducing you to Imagineers, former and current, of the Walt Disney Imagineering team. So I've got a couple special friends here with me. I've got Stokes, my co-host from the Main Street Chronicles. What's going on, buddy? Not too much. Really excited to get this new project underway. Last but not least, we have a former Imagineer. Gilbert Lozano is on with us for our first episode. And everybody, I have got to say, we've been talking to him for the last hour. And he has reinvigorated us to make sure that we do this with such passion for you, the listener. So that way you guys can learn more about Imagineering. And also, so you guys can get a little peek inside to see what these Imagineers have done to help provide the atmospheres and environments that we love so much. So Gilbert, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm quite honored to be here. The honor is all ours. Before we get into the questions, I know we've already talked about a few things, but can you give us a brief overview of what your story is, who you are and what you did at Walt Disney Imagineering? Well, uh, my titles in Imagineering was a senior dimensional designer. And basically what we did is that they gave me a drawing uh, from one of the art directors and they said, hey, this is the character. We need you to turn this into a sculpture. And so they gave me the drawings. I just put them on my table and I either in clay or in a block of foam, we would on model, we would master the character, we'd study it and then start carving into the foam or building up the clay. And that was one of my biggest roles there at Imagineering and also as a model maker, creating figures and also creating structures in scale. And it was lots of fun. It was actually a quite enjoyable thing to do, especially when the directors came by and they looked at your sculpture and you were kind of sweating it. You were kind of nervous. You were a little like, oh my goodness, did I do it? Did I do it? Because you're working by yourself in the corner. And by the way, Imagineering is not a shop. It is a luxury hotel. It's a beautiful place to work inside the actual Imagineering sculpting studio and model shop. So when the directors came in and they looked at your project and they just said, and this happened to me a lot, it's perfect and I'm not making it up, but then they'd say, oh, could you tweak this a little? But they fell in love with it. And when they did that, there was such a sense of relief, but also of satisfaction that I did it. And this project is going to go into the park. It's actually going to be molded and tooled and then made into a robot. And then it's going to be set in stone in the parks. And that was very exciting for me. It sounds like a really exciting opportunity for anyone that's passionate about Disney and bringing things to life. And it's nice that we're starting with someone who helped create the concepts before we actually got the physical tangible things that we see in the parks today. I was talking with Stokes about this off camera and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but did you guys create the sculptures and then have the latex poured over top? So that way that could go over top of the actual mechanics of the audio animatronics. Is that yeah, how it works? 
it, there is a process. You're very close. It, it, we create the original maquettes, the original sculpture, which is, like I said, done in clay or foam. And then it goes into what's called a tooling process. Now, the tooling process is where a mold is made. So we use silicone if it's going to be a soft mold. And we need a soft mold if the part's going to be hard. But if it's going to be a soft part or if the face on a character has to flex, then you have to have a hard mold, not to confuse anyone, because silicone is a material we also use not just for the molding process, the silicone rubber, but silicone is also used for the actual product, the actual character himself or herself, because the audio animatronics that go underneath have to flex, have to move the eye blinks and all this stuff. So you have actually a rubber skin. When I was at WDI, we were getting into the more projections in the face. It was basically a plastic bubble that they put a projection inside, which is a whole different thing. I prefer the actual physical face or sculpture itself. So yes, yeah, so there's a molding process and basically silicone is poured over the original and then a hard jacket is made over that. And then it's all pulled apart. The, the original sculpture is taken out and then we, we close it all back up again. And we either, we'll lay up even fiberglass. If it's a fiberglass part, we'll lay up fiberglass or we'll pour silicone into it, whichever kind of mold it may be. But it's a long process. It takes a very skilled amount of Imagineers to get that done. There's a department and I was in the sculpting studio plus the uh, model shop, but there was also the uh, tooling department and, of course, in the animatronic department as well. Now, what happens after all the process is done? There's still a sculpture. What happens to the sculpture after you guys have created the audio animatronic? Well, the sculpture has to be fine-tuned. It has to be painted. It has to be finished. So when the part is pulled... You know, there may be some things that changed a little, like the eyebrows aren't sharp enough. That was one of my big things that I worked with. I made the sculpture of the Duke of Soul, but his eyebrows had to be sharper. They look sharp in the clay, but once we pulled it, it's like, well, we got the Duratec, which is a covering for all the fiberglass. It's sandable. And so you have to use tape and you have to sand it carefully and you have to restore the likeness. It's really a high standard. It has to be the character from the Duke of Soul has to be the Duke of Soul from the Little Mermaid. So everything has to be spot on because you don't want anyone to say, what's wrong with those eyebrows? Or, what's wrong? or he looks cross-sided. So it has to be polished and fine-tuned. And then it goes into the paint department, which I don't paint the parts myself, but the painters that have done, they make me look like a rock star. But I'm going to just say that flat out right. I'm the sculptor here, but... I don't work in a vacuum. I work with talented, talented people, Imagineers that know their stuff and they're able to pull that sculpture into, oh my goodness, now it looks like it stepped out of the movie. And that's what everyone's going to see. And me being a bronze sculptor, millions of people more have seen my stuff I made for Disney than I've sold in a gallery. And I'm very proud of that, but it's very exciting. But anyway, so that's the final process. And then, of course, you've got the Imagineers, you've got animators who build that incredible robot, which, my goodness, the science behind that is beyond my brain function. I would wake up screaming at night if I had to think as hard as these guys think because they got to put these mechanical parts together. The eye blink has to sync with the audio. And Walt did this before there was a lot of computers around. He did this when these guys were doing it with, you know, little screws and nuts and little things that they had to find and they had to build and they had to draw schematics for these things. 
A lot of it's computerized, so it's been sort of streamlined, but it still takes a lot of skill and imagination to get it done. Now, I'm curious, you clearly have a passion for art and you clearly have a passion for your trade. What inspired you or what led you to want to become an Imagineer? You know, when you go to the park and you see you're inspired, I mean, how does this work? What on earth? Who was behind this that made these pirates come to life? And as an artist, you're like, oh, I got to fit here somewhere. But, you know, you're a little kid. I didn't really know I was a sculptor. I thought I was going to be a great painter. But it turned out that I was so much better with sculpture. And I said, well, I wonder if they need sculptors at Imagineering. I wonder if, if that's something that's useful. And, and I found out, of course, it is. But I was inspired by what I saw, by being taken into a story. You know, it was fun. It was loving. It's just so incredible to be immersed in that way. So that's really directed my heart to wanting to be into theme parks into rather than movies. All my friends were getting into monsters. Everybody wanted to make monsters back then. I don't understand. The ugliest was the better and the most gross. I got to make the grossest monster ever. And I'm like, ah, oh, how can you look at that stuff? It makes me sick. I can't eat lunch. But you know, when it came to the theme parks, to Disney, it was storytelling. It was living. It was breathing. It was pretty. It was pure. It was strong. And I said, I think my hands are going to be used for something like this, something where you're making families happy. Instead of terrorizing people or making them grossed out, you're actually making people feel like they're part of something special. And so that moved me. That's the direction I want to go when it comes to my art and my talent. And boy, is it rewarding. I'm telling you, I've sculpted many classical sculptures and I've made lots of people happy. But it's never as strong as when you make people really happy. And I like to say, as, as Aaron Copeland, fanfare for the common man. You know, people who buy fine art bronzes, God bless them. They gave me money. But it's limited. And they pay a lot of money for them. But it's not really for the common man in a sense. So. When you go to a theme park, when you go to Disney, when you go and you see these characters, everyone, young and old, can enjoy it. And they didn't have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to enjoy it. They were immersed in a story, they were brought in, and they got memories for life. Is that not the best thing to think about? All these people come in and they got memories of these rides, but they also got memories of their children throwing ice cream on the ground. But that's okay because they're having fun. And it's like everyone having fun. So yeah, I want to be part of that. I'm in. I'm in for that. And when you create that environment of magic and fantasy and storytelling, and it's for everyone, then you count me in. So that's a big part of it now. I've had, obviously, I've had time to think about that as I've gotten older. You know, at first it was just cool and exciting. So you keep mentioning creating these environments and the opportunity to make people happy. What are some of the projects that you've worked on? Where might our listeners have seen your work in the parks? You're going to laugh at this, but it's one of my first projects at WDI was these large-scale forks and spoons. And one was called a slotted spoon. And what is a slotted spoon? I've never seen that in my life. And I'm like, oh yeah, you got to make this. And they're giving me these pictures and they're all drawings from the 1800s. And I'm like, oh, that's really beautiful silverware. Oh, you want me to make this how big? Six feet tall? Uh, okay. Gosh, what is this? And like I said, I didn't know what a slotted spoon was. So I had to go research that out. You know what they told me it was for? You're not going to believe this. This was, oh my goodness. My heart was racing and my face just lit up. It was for the Ratatouille ride in Ferris, France. It's a dining experience. So you get off the ride and there's a restaurant there, right? They got this amazing restaurant. And guess what? You're all mouse size. 
So the plates are big, the forks and spoons are big, and I had to do a bottle cap, which was two and a half foot diameter, and it's gorgeous. God bless the Imagineers who came up with that, the art directors, the designers. It's beautiful. So I'm looking at these things. So when I found out that, it was like, oh my goodness, so many people are going to see this, but it was more than that. It was like, it was not just a fork and a spoon. It's not just a bottle cap. It's something that people are going to interact with. In fact, if you look online, if you go and check out that restaurant, Gusto's, you'll see that everybody sits next to a fork. They're kind of mounted on top of the bottle cap and some are hanging on the wall. And when you see that, I made those forks and spoons. I made that bottle cap. And that's like, that meant a lot to me. So you see how that sculpture came to life immediately. It's like, wow, it's not just a fork. It's not just a spoon. It's not just some bottle caps. It's actually something kids are going to lean against or whatever. Just, oh, look at up a mouse. You know, that kind of thing, you know. It's, so that was very exciting. I like to mention a Little Mermaid ride, which was amazing. I was lead sculptor on that. And I was um, Flotsam and Jetsam were given to me. The Duke of Soul, the Carp with Harp, and Carmen Miranda and Flounder. Those were my characters. Now, for Larry Nikolai, he was lead art director for this project. And working with him was like a seven years, eight years of college. Because what I learned from him and how he thinks and how he strategized, he looked at my flounder and he says, okay, Gilbert, his face is a little squished. You got to bring it out a little more. It, it, he was right. And I didn't see it. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. His face is a little pushed in. He taught me Disney characters. But... You go into this ride now, and you see these characters dancing and singing. And, oh my goodness, to, to even think that I was part of this. And the kids are pointing, taking pictures everywhere. And you hear the music, you know, under the sea, under the sea. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. I, I love The Little Mermaid. Oh, by the way, <clears throat> to get the job, <clears throat> I had to show them that I was Disney savvy. So I sculpted Ariel in foam, maybe three and a half feet tall. And I showed it to Larry. You know, I said, Larry, what do you think of this? What do you think of this Ariel? Did I, did I get close? And he looked at it and he says, Gilbert, I know how good you are. You don't have to show me, but this is beautiful. And he started taking pictures. It was pretty amazing. And, and um, it was just something I felt so proud of. I do like Ariel. She's one of my favorite princesses, I guess. But yeah. That was a big project. Uh, another one was Figaro. And Figaro is a, he sits in Fantasy Fair and you can get your picture taken under him right next to the carousel. And it's a, he's an animatronic cat. And what he does, I had to design that, by the way. I got the pictures, but I had to design how he was going to move. And that was tricky because he's supposed to be sleeping. And then the little bluebird's going to wake him up. And he's going to wake up, and he has, so his head has to lift, his eyes have to open, eye blink, so we have eye blink, he has mouth movements, I had to figure that out. Here's the tricky part, my friend. He wasn't going to be a silicone head. He was going to be a hard plastic head. So now we got to think puppet. He has to have trap doors. Everything has to be designed like a marionette. And so that makes it harder, actually. Now, if it had been silicone, you just do the sculpture, and it flexes under the animatronics. Does that make sense? So basically, the silicone skin is attached to the robot with magnets or with Velcro. And I was on my own. No one said, we want you to do it this way. You have to do it that way. No, they said, you're the Imagineer. You're going to figure this out. And, and I said, I can do it. And of course, I took a big swallow when I said that. And I said, OK, <clears throat> I'm going to do this. <clears throat> so I walk away. 
I'm looking at this picture. I'm looking at how I'm going to engineer this. So what I'm getting is, okay, marionette. And so we've got to think of the trap door and the eye blink, like I mentioned. So Figaro is sleeping. He had to raise his head up and he had a paw movement. So his paw had, had to move as well. And he had a tail movement, but they, they omitted that one later. So what I did is all carved in six pound urethane foam. I created the sculpture and then I had to cut it all apart, empty out the head. I had to make the eyeballs and then the, the pivot points for the eye blink inside the foam head. It all had to be proof of concept. It all had to work before it gets tooled. Otherwise it won't work. So I assembled all the parts back after sculpting everything. I assembled it all. I demonstrate to the directors that this is functional. Look at this is how his head raises. He's sleeping, he's purring. Now he's raising his head. He's looking at figure, he's looking at the little bluebird in the cage, and now he's he's moving his paw. All this had to, I had to do this manually because there's no robot inside. I'm the sculptor. I know nothing about robot. But I had to. I had to know about pivot points. I had to design the balcony he sits on so that enough room was on that, that they can put the, um, the extra components that he needed. Very challenging, but very exciting, especially when you go see it. And you can even find it on YouTube, which is really exciting. And he looks wonderful at night. They're playing Renaissance music in that. I didn't mention that before. I'm a cat fan. I, um, I love cats. It was a big, big, big moment for me to do Figaro. And I felt kind of a little guilty. The reason I was guilty was because they had Imagineers who had been there a lot longer than me. And in fact, my, uh, my Amelia Loza, a wonderful, talented sculptor, he sculpted the little bluebird next to him. He was at Disney a lot longer than me. And if that wasn't an act of God, I don't know what was, because I was so amazed that I was so privileged to get Figaro. And what a moment that was for me. And now everyone gets to enjoy him at the parks. I think he's still there. We were going to put fur on him at first, and I said, uh, not out, he's outside, he's an outside figure. So, so you can't put fur on something outside because it'll look like a wet cat. <laughs> we, did, we did want that. <laughs> so I was very proud of that. Now, what would you say is your proudest moment of being an Imagineer? Would it be Figaro, or would it be something else that you guys worked on? It was something else, definitely. And uh, my proudest moment, but I, I think I almost got... Um, I say this with love and caring and, and, and jocularity of uh, that uh, the Dave Bosser, who was in charge of all the uh, Imagineers at that time, goes out in the shop and he says, who made this? Yesnid, the Fantasia wizard. Now, this wizard was designed for a carousel in Shanghai Disney. There's a big uh, Josh Stedman designed that carousel and uh, did a beautiful job. But my part was to do... Uh, uh, Yesnid and also um, uh, Bacchus. And so uh, I've never sculpted him before. It was just a new character for me. I just I wasn't really familiar with him. So I, I sculpted him out and they presented it. Dave Boster saw it. How he saw it, I don't know because he's so high up there. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, this guy descended down to see my sculpture. I was, no, he's a wonderful man. But I'm just saying, he was just one of the top guys. He goes out in the shop. And apparently they gave him a copy of this maquette that I made. Now, what we did that back then is we got, we made the maquette, but he was about eight inches tall, just the head, just the portrait head with his hat. And um, he was basically for scanning. So they're going to scan him to three feet tall. And I got to work on the final piece as well. Anyway, 
It turned out they gave him one. I'm thinking, why did they give him one? Well, they said, well, yeah, he really liked it. He really liked it? Really? Dave Boston really liked my, my yes man? Oh, that's really, yeah, we had, to, we had to make him a copy because he wanted one for his office. And I go, wow, that's, that's nice. That's interesting. And so later on, he comes out into the Imagineers are all standing around. And he goes, this Yeznit that was made here is the best one I've ever seen come out of this shop. And because I'm a new guy, in a sense, I wasn't there 20 years at all. But it was a blessing and a curse. <laughs> it was so wonderful that this guy loved that sculpture so much. But it was also scary because all the other sculptors are looking at me. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm sure you didn't mean that. I'm sure you guys have made better ones before. This is just happens to be the latest and the greatest for now. You know? But they were very sweet. No one got mad. But I was very proud, very excited. It was a big moment for me, and it was made special for me. And I felt that this was a time, not out of pride arrogance, but out of pride accomplishment and excitement. It was like God put me in a place at a time for this. And I didn't go into my life history, and I won't, but... But for me to rise to this moment, to be with these wonderful people, these amazing talent imagineers who all went through all kinds of amazing schools, and you're looking at a high school graduate who had a set of skills. But for me to make it to that place in that moment, that they're relying on me to do all this was a big moment a big moment for me. And I thank God for that moment because I know it had to be an act of God for me to rise to such a high place in such a short time. So that was a big moment. And I took, I shook his hand, you know, you don't always get those moments, but that was one, that was definitely one moment then. There's one regret in my life that I have today, and I'm going to put it on audio, is that I left Shanghai too soon. I should have, they wanted me there a little longer. But I came home because um, of personal issues, family and so so forth. But I had to come home. And um, it, but leaving Shanghai Resort was heartbreaking. But working with Josh, okay, here's the thing. Here's what happened. Okay, we had sculptures, and they were done by Patrick Simmons and um, Bruce Lau, two amazing, awesome sculptors. They sculpted the maquette of Rapunzel and and Flynn. When they scanned them, they made their heads too big. Somebody might have said, let's give their heads 25% bigger or something. And so they had these big bobbleheads on these characters. We need a sculptor here now. Gilbert Lozano, can you go to Shanghai and fix these sculptures? Sculptors, we've got to get them back. And by the way, Ariel, the same problem happened. Um, you see, this is Ariel's Grotto, is the ride I worked on plus the carousel, but that was Josh. That was his responsibility. Anyway, <laughs> so I've never been on a plane to the Far East. That was awesome. I will never forget that they served me this wonderful chicken salad. Disney sent me business class, and then they put me in a five-star Four Seasons Hotel. Talk about luxury. So at the plane, they give me this chicken salad, and it's immaculate. Would you like another glass of wine, Mr. Lozano? Uh, oh, sure, no, I think this is enough. Thank you, whatever. So I eat the salad, it was wonderful. And I was satisfied, happy, right? And then they come out, here's your steak, Mr. Lozano. And it's a freaking steak, the size of my face. And I'm thinking, wait, I just, no, no, I already ate. No, no, so that was just the appetizer. This is for you, this is your, this is your dinner. So that was hilarious. All right, back to the story. The sculptures of Flynn, Rapunzel, and the, and the Little Mermaid, we'll keep the Little Mermaid on the side, but I had to fix them. 
I had to bring them all back to scale. The heads were way too large. Now they needed a portrait sculptor to do this. I'm a portrait sculptor. Thank you very much. I'm very good at portraits. That's my specialty. So they needed me to literally, I had to shrink these foam heads down and not lose the character. Keep the integrity of these characters. No pressure, right? Because if you start carving in one place and not the other, you made an imbalance. If you make that nose too small, you messed up the whole piece. They'll have to make another one. You can't put it back. Yeah. Now there's tricks, but you know, I'm trying to do it first time off the bat. So I sculpted Rapunzel. She has a beautiful face. And I said, I don't want to lose this face. So and they didn't remill it. They could have, but they got me instead. So they didn't have to. So anyway, I got her face down to the scale. And I kept that glorious smile that Bruce Lau put on her. And I made sure that she was just as gorgeous as he sculpted her. And so they were happy. They loved it. They fell in love. Now, Flynn, on the other hand, he was a little tricky. I'm like, okay, I'm better with female faces. I don't know why. It just is. That's who I am. I'm sorry. That's what I do. But I'm looking at Flynn and I'm thinking, okay, it starts carving. I said, I need a model for this because some of it was very plain and simplistic. I need someone to look at to help me with the avillary folds or the brow. And I said, who have I seen around here who's handsome? Oh, Josh, he's handsome. I'll bring him down here. Josh, come down. And so I had Josh model for me. He helped me with structure. And I think he was happy. I think he was happy about that. We got it down. It was beautiful. They loved it. It's Flynn. But there might be a little Josh in there. That was another proud moment in my career here with Disney was using Josh Steadman as a model. He sent me a picture later when I came back to the States of him standing next to Flynn, so him face to face, right? So that was pretty awesome. That was awesome. That was an awesome moment with Josh. I'm hoping we get a chance to work together sometime at some point. We'll see what happens. It's a still a big world. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to retire. I'm sorry. I'm still holding in there. <laughs> I might be a renaissance man. I don't know computers, but I still have a truckload of tools that I know how to use. And I can still pull it off. So I think back to you talking about your work on the Figaro figure and how you had to troubleshoot your own challenges with that. A lot of the Imagineers we've looked at with this season of Main Street Chronicles are Walt's original Imagineers, where he was pulling them straight from the studio and saying, I know you're used to being a artist for films or TV, cartoons, things like that, but I want you to come build these parks for me. And they have to troubleshoot it and kind of teach themselves on the fly. What are some of the, I guess, best characteristics for an Imagineer, in your opinion? got to think quick. You gotta be able to problem solve, not panic. You know, hold yourself, hold your mind together. They got me here for a reason. You have to troubleshoot fast. Look, I'm a guy who makes a lot of mistakes. Believe it or not. Do you know how I got really good? I know how to fix my mistake. I know how to turn them back and say, okay, I messed up here, but I can turn this around and I can make it right. And no one will know the difference. A lot of my career is based on that. <laughs> But I regret not having a college degree, so I want to tell everyone college is good, especially in the arts and, and, and engineering. But yes, problem solving is extremely important. And you got to be quick. You don't let yourself get scared. Don't start breathing heavy. Don't start sweating it. You look at the project before you, and you realize this has a solution. Nothing is impossible. If God could create the universe out of the thoughts, galaxies, the beauty, you look at the stars and there's just nothing's impossible for him. But so how can anything be impossible for us? You look at any man-made challenge and it's like, 
oh, it's just a toy. God looks at that like crayons, if that makes sense. You know, oh, you know, oh, the kids are playing with crayons again. I love my kids. I love the colors they make. So basically, if you have an attitude like that, and now that's based obviously on my relationship with God and what I believe, and, but it's always pulled me through. He's always gotten me through. And so I said, Lord, this is crayons to you. This is not impossible. And he pulled me out every time and I got it done. So that's my little secret power. But like I said, you got to be sharp. You got to know the problem. Some people are really gifted with this. The gentleman designed the California soaring mechanics. He went home. He didn't know how to do this California sewing right. He goes home. He sees his kids' erector sets. He puts something together and he says, that's it. That's the ride. And he engineered the whole ride at home. Took it back to WDIs, and they're looking at it with all with their jaws on the desk, saying, uh, yeah, that's going to work. You see how individuals are important and how individuals matter. And I'm not saying collaboration is bad. Of course not, obviously. Collaboration is wonderful. It's important. We need it. But there's a place never to be forgotten about the individual visionary, the individual dreamer, the individual who can create, and individuals are important. So we never should move away from that. We should always remember it's okay to listen to somebody, but when you see that sparkle in their eye or that dream in their heart, it comes from the heart. I can follow a person like that and say, I see it. I see it in your heart. I see the power in your heart. Elaborated a little bit, Stokes, on your question. I'm sorry, I kind of meandered, but it kind of connected a little because it's where it stems from, where great achievements come from, where you're faced with something impossible. And what I was trying to say is that nothing is impossible. It really isn't. And I'm living proof of that. Trust me, I've been in things that I've got to figure this out. And I might not have had resources I needed. I couldn't tap a shoulder of another Imagineer and said, hey, could you help me with this? I can't quite get this jaw movement right. Could you uh, help me figure it out? I couldn't do that because his load is full. He has his own things to figure out. And, you know, instead of having a committee figure out this engineering of a cat, let's give it to the artist. And you know something? That was the way to do it. Because what they got is what they wanted. They got an animatronic Figaro that looks just like Figaro, but works exactly the way they want. And they were happy with it. And trust me, I didn't have a computer to help me figure that out. It was like those bootstraps, that rugged tenacity. I, I like it. There's a lot of fun words you could use but for this. But, but to me, that's American as well, right? <laughs> that's what makes us a part of history. That's what makes us special. Each and all of the everyone who's listening now is very special. And it's when you find it, when you find out what you're special at. It can be a lot of things. But uh, boy, when you find it, you're like, oh my goodness, I was born for this. That was my education. That was my college. I would look at how does a tree grow? How do the leaves change season? You know, how do lizards walk? What do the scales look like? Well, the eye blink on any animal. You know, lions roar, the teeth. It was creation that made me good. It was studying what was made that made me excellent. And today, I am excellent because of that. Now, trust, it would have been nice to have a professor teach me. A lot I had to learn on my own. But I did have a teacher, didn't I? It was God's creation, wasn't it? We have to look at what's been made, what's in front of our eyes on a daily basis. You know, I live in Arizona now, and there's these crane flies. And I said to myself, I'm not going to kill this crane fly just because he came in my house. Look at how magnificent he is. And I said, 
nobody on earth can make one of these, but I'm looking at this crane fly and I could say, okay, I'm gonna talk to, can you make one of these? It's like, no, I can't. Actually, this is pretty difficult, especially at this size. I guess I just said think, nothing's impossible. But we can get close on this one. So I let him out because he, he didn't deserve to die because he's a beautiful, remarkable creature created in a remarkable way. And he has a remarkable function like all of us do. So yeah, to answer your question simply is, is that, yes, we have to observe the world. The greatest scientist, Isaac Newton, one of, one of the, our greatest, you know, was a, a strong believer in God, but that was his source. That was his source of idea, how he got his ideas. But we do have to observe creation we have to keep our eyes open because there's still more. There's still more to see. We're just scratching the surface here, and we've heard about your work with Disney. Now we'd like to hear about your other work, and we know you've done some work for Universal. I'm most excited to hear about your zoo work. Give us a 15,000-foot view of everything Gilbert Lozano has done so far. Well, you know something? It's funny you said zoo stuff. I actually really love zoo stuff because it's creating homes, habitats for creatures in our world that need to be protected that need to be safeguarded and making them the most luxurious pad you could make you know with, with something that any cougar wants to live in right i want to live here because it's so cool it got the waterfall it got the pond i my uh, design I, I mentioned the snow leopard called the snow leopard leap in uh, louisville zoo and uh, i had to sculpt a, a model that looked exactly like afghanistan where they're from because it's a snow leopard leap there has to be places for the leopard to leap. So they give you CAD drawings, and then you have to translate those CAD drawings into something realistic. So I carved these rocks and made sure it looked like their habitat. It is a joy for me to do that because not only like theme parks take care of the people, but zoos take care of creation or animal ambassadors as they call them. And there's a great joy in that because back you know, look, 100 years ago, they were in cages. They were in iron bar cages, for goodness sakes. Get them out of the cage. But creating a home that looks real, and aquariums too. I've designed aquariums as well. I just mentioned where a lot of my education came from. I had to learn. They said, Gilbert, make us a chuckwalla. And I'm like, oh gosh, I've never seen a chuckwalla in my life. I think it's a lizard, right? Yep. <laughs> so, like, so, you know, you start looking at, at Chuck Wallace and what they do and you start seeing how they expand. And, and I had to make this for the zoo, the sea anemones. One of my very first creations in my career, this is going back a long time, it were sea anemones. These are for aquariums uh, internationally. The sea anemone has a bunch of little fingers. You know, where the clownfish go in, you've seen those? Oh, yeah. Uh, those are the big ones, but there's also the small ones. I had to develop these. They had to mold. They, they didn't know how to do it. And the sculptures that weren't looking right that they were making, so they gave it to me. And I was working for a company called uh, David L. Manwaring Corporation who, who builds habitats for uh, zoos. So I was their sculptor and their mold maker, and I had to develop a way to create these anemones. And we got it. We got it. came out beautiful. We used flex urethane, so they're kind of semi-translucent, and you can light them up. We put them in the aquarium, and they look gorgeous. Pretty amazing stuff. One thing exciting, another just a segue back to Disney, is that later I found out that David Alman Warren sold Disney a lot of the corals I made for him. What was this, 20, over 20 years ago. And they put wow. him in the ride, the Finding Nemo ride. So we're, I'm, we're going through the ride. I'm loving it. My wife goes, Gilbert. And I go, what? Did you make that? And I'm, no, I didn't make anything for here. This, is, this, is, you know, this wasn't my project. And she goes, no, you made that. And so I look out the I look a closer look at the window and I'm like, oh my goodness, 
it's those sea anemones again, and they're all over the place. And, and, and that's awesome. I, it was I mean, there's some corals there that I made and molded, and and it was pretty awesome. But my career started in zoos and aquariums, and, and did a lot of museum work as well. And there's a higher standard because. It has to look real. You know, when you sculpt an otter, it has to look like an otter. It can't look like a cartoon. It has to look like something cute and playful. And that's what I did. Basically, I went into my career like I had 10 years of education. I have a high school diploma, but every project I was ever given never failed. You should have seen the holler monkeys I made for Lisbon, Portugal. It was called the Temple of the City. It's a food court. And they had rainforest, and this rainforest theme is based on all the toucans, holler monkeys, macaws. So I had to create all that, and, and I did, and all actual size. So I have a strong connection with his natural creation. But boy, did that cross over well into Disney, because Disney was a Oh, I got to confess something too. Gosh, this is a live confession. Oh my goodness! But uh, I'm going to say this. I had never sculpted a cartoon before in my life or even drawn a cartoon in my life because I was always a realistic guy. If that portrait of Abraham Lincoln I made did not look like him, it was upsetting. So I focused more on the realism and I knew nothing about cartooning. There's a strong benefit that I learned about cartooning. Cartooning stretches and flexes and pulls and crunches up. It's fun. Anyway. I had to tell Disney, Disney had to take me as I am, looking at these Disney characters. And I'm like, oh gosh, I think it's simple, but it wasn't simple. Why wasn't it simple? Because there's a standard to them. Disney characters have certain arches, certain angles. Valerie Edwards, okay, she's a sweetheart. They told me, oh, she's very strict. Oh, she's very perfectionist. Oh, Gilbert, you better be ready. She's gonna come look at your Nigel puppet. I was sculpting a Nigel. For a traveling show for Disney, he danced, he, he sang, and he had a team of dancers come out. It was like basically they got a bus and they turned it into a Finding Nemo submarine. Really cool, actually. They got a ticket and then they had to put it in storage in Anaheim. <laughs> Can you believe it? it was pulled over because the police didn't figure out, couldn't figure out, is it a bus? What is this? You're not supposed to be driving this on the street. Anyway, that's a true story. So what happened is I was in charge of Nigel, a full-size Nigel. It was about three feet tall. She was the art director, so was Larry on that. I came to Garner Holt, and they're going to evaluate my work. So everybody's telling me she's terrible. I don't listen to everybody. When someone says someone's terrible, I usually don't listen to them. It's like, no, let them prove it to me first. <laughs> let the person prove it. <laughs> so I was shaking. And here she is, the top sculptor at Disney for, I don't know, 30 years, 20 years, something like that. Anyway, walks in my sculpting studio, and I'm trembling. And she's looking at it. There's about 10 directors there or something like that. Maybe 100. I don't know. I couldn't see straight. I was so scared. <laughs> I don't know why I was scared. I had never done this. Anyway, the point is, she's standing right next to me. And she's shaking her head up and down. The up and down is good. And she's looking at it. And she told me about angles. She says, just make sure you get your angles. That's important. So she taught me about angles. But before she said that, I was trying to show her something. And I have my sculpting tool in my hand. And it's trembling like this. I, well, you can't see this. But my hands are shaking right now with a sculpting tool in my hand. And I literally had to put it against the sculpture so I could stop trembling. She saw that. You know what she did? She stood arm to arm close to me. And at that moment, she calmed my heart. And I wasn't scared. It was like, there's a human being right here. 
she's concerned about my sculpture and she cares about what I'm doing and she's liking what she's seeing. That was a moment for me that I'll never forget as well, but it was the importance of that question about there is a design to Disney characters. I didn't know anything about it. I was new. Everything was from a museum or an aquarium or a zoo. I had just started working for Garner as his portrait sculptor. I sculpted Marlon Perkins for Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Now, I sculpted that in my own studio, and then he liked it so much that he hired me, gave me a job. But cartoons were foreign to me, but I had good teachers, and Valerie Edwards is definitely one of them. And Larry Nikolai, which I sent him a, a link. I'm hoping he gets on with you guys because he's another great mentor of mine for Disney. He used to work for uh, Hanna-Barbera. Wow. And yeah, he very is, cool. he's the genuine article, my friend. He is the real guy, and he taught me I'm good because of these people. I can be a good animator. I understand animation now. Maybe not draw it as much, but if I was to create it in 3D, I have the knowledge now because of these good people who ingrained it in me. That's how I got in WDI, too. That was another thing. How did I get directly to WDI? I got in because Garner Holt had slowed down and unfortunately had to let some people go. And unfortunately, I was one of them. <laughs> and I called up Larry and I said, Larry, you were my art director. You were my great mentor. Is there any possibility I can get into WVI? It was like less than two weeks. He got me in. We had built up a relationship. And this will help young people to know that if you're working in a company that's not directly Disney, you could get to know Disney people and work well and they'll remember you, especially if you lose your job and they got work. We need you. We worked with you before. We know who you are. And uh, that's what Larry did for me. So he actually started my official career at WDI. So that's interesting. Would you have any other advice that you would give to potential Imagineers? Internships are important. Education, of course, is important. Know what your heart wants, number one. Okay, if you like entertainment, okay, you want to be movies? You want to be theme parks. Which one brings you more joy? And you have to remember, you want to be an Imagineer. Okay, awesome. I'm so happy to hear it. What do you need to know as an Imagineer? All right. You could talk to Imagineers. How Disney does actually offer internships, moments with Imagineers, that you can actually interact with them and talk to them and say, hey, that's, this is definitely for me. Or maybe this is not for me. Maybe I'd rather go into more video games. Number one. You decide in your heart what you really want to do. And what we talked about today, I mentioned creating passionate places for people to visit for lifetime memories. A movie goes on the shelf and you might watch it again maybe three times for the rest of your life if you really like the movie. Maybe more if you really liked it. But it ends up on the shelf and everybody remembers what a great movie it was. And yeah, you could say, I was part of that movie. But guess what? People today, this moment, are still getting their picture taken in front of Figaro. They're still eating at the Ratatouille ride. They're still going through The Little Mermaid. And we worked on Cars, too. And when I worked on Cars, which is awesome, by the way, that was Oh, you just, you just lit my eyes up. I don't know if you saw it, but <laughs> I cried when I walked down. I'll digress a little bit. They, I was in California for a job that I no longer have. Our corporate headquarters was right down the road from Disneyland and was there for three days. And I was like, I'm four miles away from Disneyland. I've got to go. So... <laughs> I got an Uber. Four miles took me like two hours to get there in the <laughs> Southern California traffic. <laughs> and we're riding down the road. And 
the Uber driver was a retired Disney music producer. And he's given me all these inside tips. And I wasn't as big of a Disney fan as I am now. This was six, seven years ago. And he's like, well, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. So I get there. I step on Main Street and I just bawl like a baby. And I'm like, this is it. Well, the next wow. day I was like, well, I'm going to go again, but I'm going to go to DCA because I've got to go see Cars Land. I go to buy a ticket. And she was like, oh, honey, you know, it's closing in like an hour. I was oh. like, huh? She called her manager over. And this was before I knew of Disney magic or cast members going above and beyond. And she was like, here's a ticket. Go enjoy it. Wow. Have as many memories as you can. Wow. You've got an hour. Go. And she, was like, <laughs> she was like, run, just run. And I bypassed everything, went right to Radiator Springs. And the neons were on. And I just stood there, grown man, weeping, because I was in my favorite movie. And it was just unbelievable. So thank you. <laughs> That's a wonderful story, by the way. And by the way, I cry a lot, too. So, so you're not alone. <laughs> I'm emotionally moved a lot. So we'll just say it that way. How's that? There you go. That's a good way of saying it. We were working on that bride. It looked like Trek Auto or something. It looked like a car repair shop. It was funny because these are a bunch of car parts around with big eyes. It's one of my favorite rides. It's a masterpiece, actually. It's Especially at night. If you saw it at night, you got the full show because it's gorgeous how the rocks are done and that was done differently that was done um, they used computer panels for that and then they engineered it piece by piece but it was really interesting how they did that ride but they did build an actual model which was gorgeous i just worked on the cars but i didn't work on the model itself that would have been awesome I love models. i'm a model guy now our fans know i'm not a huge fan of ips but they really made it work with cars land and radiator springs what are your thoughts on ips being implemented into the parks when Disney goes a little too far out into an IP that it's not part of our world. It's not part of our story. The attraction's always stronger when it's part of us, not when we're trying to be part of them. But the thing is, people don't want to just shop in an amusement park or be fed. They want to experience. And we mentioned earlier about grandchildren and grandparents is where you start your design. If you start with that purity of heart, when you start where I care about old people and I care about very young people. I was going to say that the two most important people I care about, I mean, I care about all people, don't get me wrong. I care about all ages, of course I do. But when you see a child smiling and laughing at something you made or just watching them experience something fun. So when I see that, I see a child responding to something wonderful. And I see an old person, our society kind of forgets us sometimes, right? We're old, <laughs> but they can't ride the fast coasters. The pride of a grandparent is sitting their grandchildren on top of their lap. That is their joy, but they want to do stuff with them. They don't want to just buy them things. Of course, grandchildren want things, but like that Cars Land, back to that. You can, have, you can be an old person and a grandchild in that because it's not fast. It's a perfect ride. It's a perfect design. That's what I'm hoping for, to see more at Disney. I hope Disney will focus in on the grandchildren and the grandparents. You actually pretty much just answered the last question that we were going to ask you, and that was, what would you like to see from Imagineering in the future? And you pretty much just answered it. You want to see more heart. You want to see more caring for the bookends, the kids and the grandparents. Which goes back to Walt's original vision, building the parks in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Being able Absolutely. to spend more time with his family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. I like that expression, bookends. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep that Perfect. One. This has been absolutely amazing. 
Where can our listeners find out more about you or connect with you? Well, I have a website. It's gilbertlozano.art. And you can also follow me on Instagram at gilbertlozano. I do put my latest zoo projects up right now. And I do have some secret project working on right now that uh, I'm still connected to Disney. Um, in fact, last year, I did a little show for Disney. Uh, there was a celebration for Mickey. So Daisy, Pluto, and Chippendale are creating an art show. So in the art show, they all created their own Mickey. Daisy created a topiary Mickey. Chippendale, of course, created acorn Mickey. And Pluto made a dog bone biscuit Mickey. Now, that was wonderful. I got to work for Disney last year, and it was very exciting. And I brought that up because I'm still active. I still do Disney stuff when I can. And when they need me, I'll definitely jump in there. You can check out the links on where to connect with Gilbert in the description below. Thank you so much again for spending time with us today. Thank you for letting me spend uh, so much time with you. I'm very honored and have much gratitude to you guys. You're part of our family now. That's what we're trying to do thank here you. is build a family. So thank, thank you for being our newest member. Yay. Thank you for including me. We hope that you enjoyed these stories. Be sure to tune in next time and we'll have even more stories from another Walt Disney Imagineer. You've been listening to the Main Street Chronicles, part of the Imagination Radio Network and a BRS Productions podcast. Be sure to check us out on all your favorite social media and podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, and rate so that we can continue to bring you as much magic as possible.